Hi, I'm Dr. Caroline Leaf and welcome to my podcast, Cleaning Up the Mental Mess. In today's podcast, we're going to talk about intergenerational trauma. I have this really interesting discussion with Dr. Muriel Bouquet, who's an expert in this area. And we talk about how to recognize the signs if you are battling with intergenerational trauma and how it's impacting you and how it's impacting others and how you can heal from this and how you can move forward and break the cycle in future generations. Dr. Muriel says, when a physical wound is left unhealed, it continues to cause pain and can infect the whole body. When emotions are left unhealed, they similarly cause harm that spreads to other parts of our lives, hurting our family, friends, community members, and others. Eventually, this hurt can injure an entire lineage, metastasizing across years and generations. This is intergenerational trauma. This trauma is why some of us become estranged from our families, why some of us are people pleasers, why some of us find ourselves in codependent relationships. Let's dive in. Dr. Muriel Bouquet, I am so thrilled and so excited to have this conversation with you. This has been, this is a really important topic that we are going to dive into today and you handle it so beautifully. And I think it's because it's so authentic from your own experience. And, you know, that's why it's really, it's great. You've, you've tackled a very complex subject that's a little bit, it's not spoken about enough. It's, it's, the, people are aware, but they, they don't really, I think, know how to deal with it or how to even process because it seems so complex. And you've done an incredible job in helping us to understand that. So Muriel, without any further ado, I'd love to welcome you. And can you just tell my listeners a little bit about who you are, what you do? And then I've got a couple of quotes I want to read, and we're going to dive into this fascinating topic. Wonderful. Yes, I'm so delighted to be in conversation with you. Thank you so much for having me. It's it's always a joy to connect with you and my work. So I'm Dr. Mario Bouquet, and I'm a licensed psychologist and I operate from the perspective of holistic psychology. So really integrated mind, body and spirit into the work that I do. And I specifically focus on trauma work. So intergenerational trauma is my area of expertise. It's the work that I produce both in a clinical sense and also also in my authorship. And I just recently put out a book that is out for pre-order called Break the Cycle, A Guide to Healing Intergenerational Trauma. It's my very first book and it's a book that offers comprehensive healing methodologies for us to be able to actually get the work of uprooting trauma from our lives, from our families, and from our communities. So really important work and also very heavy work and also necessary for us to be able to feel lighter and more liberated. I love it. Uh, Congratulations on your first book. I mean, that's a big deal. It really is. It's a big, big deal. Well, in your introduction, you talk about your story and I'm going to let you talk a little bit about that. But I want to say that there were two, there was a lot of statements that caught my attention, but you basically were saying something about how the running water, the tap of the running water and how even though you live with running water, you grew up without running water. And then you say how you still have this thing in your head that you can't throw things away. You can't until you've used them. And it's, it's almost like you and the sentence that I'm looking for is you say it's almost like you honoring their memory by thinking like this. And then you, you seem to get insight from one of your clients where you kind of hit a roadblock and realizing, no, staying stuck there isn't honoring it's something else. So there I've done a very simplified Cliff Notes version of what you described there. I hope I didn't mess that up, but that caught my attention and it kind of, it's, it's really, it's great. It's a great way at the springboard to start. So you know exactly what I'm talking about, don't you? Cause you wrote the book. 
<laughs> that it do. So take it from there, because what really caught me was the honoring, thinking that if we keep, you know, we honoring by thinking of those things and thinking in the same way, but you show how that's actually problematic. It's not honoring, it's actually problematic. And then you give an example of how you got stuck with your one client and, and that was for you, your, your moment of, okay, now I need to see what's going on. It really triggered you. So can you share your background and, and a little bit about why I'm, why I'm reminding you of these beautiful phrases in your book? Yeah. Thank you for, for bringing those up. It's a lovely way. My experience of intergenerational trauma is interspersed also within the book itself. So this perception of like running water, I come from a family that has come from very deep poverty to the extent that some of the basic needs that any one of us have, especially first world countries, they didn't have in the Dominican Republic. And so they, they didn't have running water and lived in survival mode for many, many decades. And so although I have had running water in my home as long as I've lived, even when I still lived in poverty, there's always this experience of still being in survival in almost the same ways that my mother and my grandmother and people before them had been living for so long. And so what I like to highlight for any readers or anybody who is undergoing the intergenerational trauma healing journey is the fact that for many of us, survival experience or being stuck in survival or for our nervous systems to be in that default state sometimes doesn't come from only our lived experiences, but from the lived experiences of people that came before us. And that happens, as we know, from the epigenetic perspective, from a very biological end, but it also happens from a psychological end. Anything that was modeled in our families or how they modeled how they had stress responses or how they actually survived throughout their lifetime, that get, it just trickles down because when we're kids, we're sponges and we soak up the ways that our parents are in survival mode and we mimic that and replicate it and become the adults that are also then stuck in survival mode. So when I was in, especially one session, when I still worked at Columbia Medical Center as a psychologist there, I was in a session with a patient and that session was one in which a lot of the people that were hurt in that patient's life kept coming up in the experiences that that person was having in the room. And in that moment, I saw not only my own life and the ways in which survival mode had been replicated time and time again, but also my patient's life and the ways in which she came with so many layers of trauma from people that came before her and also the ones that she experienced in her own lifetime. The holidays are here, which is a perfect timing for today's sponsor, OneSkin. We all know that with all the holiday fun and festivities comes stress and harsh weather that can really take a toll on your skin. But thanks to OneSkin's disruptive approach that targets skin aging at the source, you can finish off 2023 with your skin at its healthiest. Their products are powered by groundbreaking peptide OS1, which is the first ingredient scientifically proven to prevent the accumulation of aged senescent cells, the primary culprit behind skin aging. And the real magic, OS1 has actually been proven in the lab to actually reduce the biological age of the skin by several years, meaning it not only prevents but slows down skin aging, leaving you with healthier, more hydrated and glowing skin. In a third-party 12-week clinical study performed by third-party research organizations, OS1-01-Face 
was clinically proven to strengthen the skin barrier, improve skin health markers, and diminish visible signs of aging. Wrinkles were diminished in 87% of users. Indeed, alongside my mind management routine, One Skin's products have become an essential part of my daily wellness routine. I especially love the OS01 Eye Topical Supplement, which has dramatically improved the wrinkles and bags around my eyes, giving me a more refreshed and youthful glow as I go about my day. One Skin just launched their mini bundles, which include face and eye topical supplement, body lotion, and cleanser, which all come in a cute travel bag. If you're traveling this winter, One Skin has your mini skincare essentials covered. And if you're gifting this holiday season, One Skin's mini bundles are the perfect stocking suffers. For a limited time, our listeners can enjoy an exclusive 15% off One Skin products using the code Dr. Leaf when you check out at oneskin.co. This holiday season, give yourself and your loved ones a head start on your New Year's resolutions to swap your skincare for skin longevity. Get 15% off One Skin products using the code Dr. Leaf when you check out at oneskin.co. The link and details will be in the show notes. And that then made you ask a lot of questions, which pretty much generated your philosophy and the way you work with your patients and then also this book. So let's start by defining what intergenerational trauma is. I think people have a basic idea, but you give it a much deeper understanding. You you help us have a much deeper understanding. Yeah. Intergenerational trauma is such a unique type of trauma because it's the only one that actually, as we know, gets handed down the family line, down generation, and also down community line. Because sometimes we have ways in which trauma gets normalized and never gets addressed in an entire community. And so the ways that I like to explain intergenerational trauma is from the perspective of it being at the intersection of our biology and psychology. So these two experiences need to intersect. There needs to be an experience that is both on the epigenetic area, meaning that there have been genetic expressions that people have had that where they've been in trauma for long periods of time, their genes re-expressed to basically reflect the fact that they're in a traumatized body. And upon conception, when they conceive a baby, those gene expressions get replicated forward or they get transmitted forward. Psychological expression of intergenerational trauma is everything that happens post-conception. So when a baby is in utero, if their mother is in a stress for chronic length of time or for a period of time where the baby is able to digest a lot of those stress hormones that are floating through the body, then there is already the foundational experience that the baby is having in utero that the world isn't safe. When they come out into the world, they're experiencing, let's say, pathetically parents that are arguing, there's a divorce that's happening, perhaps there are, there are experiences, let's say poverty, or maybe there's war around them, or Perhaps they go into school and they experience bullying and maybe they're a teenager and they have a really bad first breakup, right? And so there's all of these other experiences that they're now having in their lifetime. They're already having a predisposition to stress and trauma because of the epigenetic transmission. Now they have the psychology to back it up and together, those two experiences, biology and psychology, culminate into what we now know as intergenerational trauma. Excellent explanation. So let's look at some examples. So you gave a few from your own life and you have examples in your book. So can you choose either and just help people to understand this a little deeper with an example? 
Yes, absolutely. One of my favorite examples of the book happens to be around a concept that I call uh, the intergenerational nervous system. And I know that this is fairly, perhaps a little bit complex to understand because how can one nervous system be intergenerational, right? But when we think about the fact that we're, when we're in stress response, our nervous systems are registering it, our windows of tolerance, meaning that our capacities to tolerate stress to a certain extent, they, they start to narrow down, right? Because we, we become emotionally regulated in a different way. And so what that means is that we're also experiencing the modeling of a parent who has an intergenerational nervous system that has been narrowed. And while we're experiencing that modeling, we're mimicking it. Like I mentioned, kids are sponges, right? So if they see that a parent is constantly fighting, they're in a fight mode whenever they're experiencing even minimal stress, then that kid is going to absorb the message. If I feel even the slightest bit of stress, then the default way to cope with that stress is to yell. It's going to be fight mode. It can also default to other types of coping strategies or other types of nervous system states. But what I tend to see in my work, and especially with this one client where it was so incredibly evident that everyone in their family, they lived in a multi-generational home. And in that multi-generational home, they even invited in additional family members to the pandemic. So now you had three generations of seven people living in an entire home. And everyone's nervous system would feed off of each other because they each had nervous systems that actually were almost kind of programmed to chaos, but programmed to chaos with one another. And so when one person felt unwell and there was stress in their lives and they had stress at work, they would bring that stress response home and that would get replicated over and over down the generations. And so everybody would be in this intergenerational nervous system because that's how the family had learned to operate with one another. And so when I talk about intergenerational trauma from the nervous system perspective... Can I just... Can I... Sorry, you said something there that's so... I don't mean to interrupt you, but you said something there that is, I think, so got applicability in so on so many levels. And that's that the, the family have... You, the family's triggered and it passes down. Bad date work goes through the, all, the entire seven people in the home. And that's this, this, this family pattern getting triggered again and again and again and the frustration and all that kind of thing that goes with it so I think that people as soon as you said that I could really think people can relate to that I've just seen that in yeah okay so I just wanted to underscore that and thank you for mentioning explaining that yeah and thank you for for that pause because I I I do think that a lot of us can probably look at several incidents in our lives where we've had at least two generations in one roof and and realizing that there has been this back and forth that has happened that is very programmed into how people operate with one another. And what I also like to help people understand from an intergenerational healing perspective is to really sit back and look at the way in which everyone's nervous system down the generation is responding and reacting. And that oftentimes helps people to build compassion for all of the ways in which everyone's being activated in the whole rather than, you know, just really mindlessly in that dynamic, they can step back and more mindfully really really look at everything that's happening for everyone that is present 
that transaction that's happening in the moment. And that helped a lot of people to take mindful pause, which is, as we know, essential on many levels, including neurologically. But also it helps people to really not feed the cycle, but the cycle, even in those micro moments, it's really essential for a lot of families. That's, yeah, that's incredible because I think that's just, I think every family to a certain extent experiences that. And I can see how those kind of patterns happen. I mean, even in our own family, we, we are a family business. So we are living and working together. And you can see certain patterns that sometimes we're in a business meeting and it's all business like. And then suddenly there'll be some sort of trigger and it can, you can create those patterns. And if you don't stand back, as you say, and, and look at the dynamics and evaluate, the dynamics will continue. And until you do, that is going to continue happening. You know, so it's, it's, I'm really glad that you've brought that up. So when we talk about this dynamic, let's go back to now you were talking about breaking the cycle. So you've described the dynamic. So let's talk now about being aware and breaking the cycle. Yeah. Breaking the cycle has multiple steps to it, right? One of the most important steps in breaking cycles that are related to trauma is actually acknowledging it. A lot of people are living in this experience where they are in trauma cycles that they can't recognize and name because they've been in them for so long. And because in part, some of our trauma cycles have actually been normalized in communities, right? Whenever I always say, you know, you, you cannot fix it, you cannot see, right? So if we don't know what it is, then there's no way that we have an opportunity for healing it. So breaking the cycle starts with the knowledge, which is why I equip this book with so much of the knowledge that we need to know around trauma and trauma responses and trauma cycles and unhealthy processes so that people can have that point of recognition. And then they actually have the tool that they can utilize book to start breaking the cycles on another level beyond the knowledge. That's great. That's wonderful. You So in terms of, of to breaking the cycle, and you say that there's multiple steps. Could you, because you, you, you lay out the book in an interesting way where you, you, yes, you provide the knowledge in the beginning of the book, but then you run that each chapter almost like a therapy session. And you, you say, you comment and say that the sessions are almost like, and I saw that in the chapters that you, there's a bit of the knowledge component, then there's the interaction, and then there's, there's the little sort of techniques at the end, sort of like a heal, you talk, you, cause you do some of the healing bath. So I'd love you to talk about a sound bath. I'd love you to talk about whichever way you want. So do you want, I, I thought it'd be great to walk through a chapter. You've got so many chapters. So you select a chapter and maybe walk through, not necessarily the detail of all the chapter, but that sequence. But maybe prior to that, you said that there's many steps involved. Do you want to start by just telling people the steps involved and then walk us through an example of what a typical session you would do with yourself when you're, they're working through the book? Which way around would work easier for you? I think I'll take you through the process itself because I think it's really essential and it's very intentional. So the process of going through the journey tends to look like us first starting with working with the body. And a part of the reason why I like to work with the body, because I, I express within the book and within my work that I, as I mentioned, you know, from a holistic perspective, I work on my body and spirit, right? So there are many ways in which all of those are integrated into every practice and technique that I work with uh, within my practice. Now, the body is going to be the most essential to start with because as I see it, we can't do profound healing work, depth-related, that is trauma-centered, trauma-responsive, 
if we're working with a body that feels unsafe. And so when we start with the body and regulating the body and doing nervous system restoration practices and being able to help a person to recenter, have body awareness, body grounding, engage with their bodies in a way that feels like they're befriending their bodies and also practice with multiple repetitions, sometimes even hundreds of repetitions of actually settling the body from a somatic perspective, then we can transition into doing more more of the mind-based work, which is where we start doing the digging work, which is when we start actually creating the intergenerational trauma tree and looking at all the multiple trauma responses that have been replicated time and again inside of this person's family. When we start looking at the roots of what's been feeding a lot of these belief systems inside of the families that family secrets have to be kept and maintained and people can't talk about family pain outside of the family and can't go to therapy or any other types of beliefs that have really recycling that pain inside of the family and not allowing it to be excavated and healed. And then we get, you know, into some of the spirit-based practices. And when I talk about spirit-based practices, because I work from a perspective where I need to be as inclusive as possible, I really talk about how we can feel connected to ourselves, to other people, and to higher powers, if that's what our decision is. So let me give you an example of what a cultural practice is or a cultural belief that people all tend to have in many communities that gets handed down. One is that family secrets are not told outside of the family, which what happens when we hold on to that belief is that very often people are not willing or able to actually step outside of the family and go seek therapeutic help and actually talk about anything that's hurting. There's also a lot of communities where, especially in generation past, where corporal punishment was considered to be an acceptable way of modifying behavior in children. And so when when we decided that that was going to be a normalized practice as a collective community, we didn't take into consideration the fact that that could be hurtful and harmful to the psyche and the well-being of a child and that they can grow up with different types of beliefs about themselves and their body because they had that experience. And so these are some of those beliefs that get translated forward, that remain uncontested for generations. And then what it does is that it can cause harm and it can spiral that effect of trauma over and over families until someone decides, you know what, actually maybe we should challenge that belief or challenge that practice and decide otherwise and break the cycle. And that that's not easy to do, is it, Muriel? I mean, you working with patients to get someone to who has actually stepped into a therapy office when they've been told, don't tell your secrets. I'm sure there's been a lot of challenge from their own immediate families. How can you do that? Why are you doing that? You know, the whole threat around there. Do you experience that? And if so, how do you manage that or help a person to break that cycle? It is incredibly hard, which is why it's essential for people to have some sort of a guide. And it. Also, you know, there's a lot of people that actually do break cycles from just sheer intuition and a lot of will to break the cycle. But it is even harder for them when they don't have some sort of a guide, support, therapeutic processes that they can lean on. However, one thing that I always find to be essential in helping people to break the cycle, especially if they're parents, is for them to actually learn how to regulate their own nervous system their own bodies and their own minds. And in them doing that, 
they can actually take bigger steps back and actually look at the landscape of how they've been operating as a parent or as a fellow human in their relationships, wherever. And they can take action forward that is different than what they've done in the past. Because what trauma does to us is that it freezes us in these set of, set of thoughts. It freezes us in certain emotions. It can freeze us in either rage. And if we're not able to actually engage in a regulatory response, then we're not going to be able to have first unfreeze ourselves, right? But have an opportunity to then act in a way that is different than what we've seen grown up. Excellent. So it's like the network trees. You've seen how you use, use the, the thought trees to explain how these thoughts actually build in. And if you're not breaking the cycle, you're feeding the cycle. So the thoughts, whatever you think about the most is growing. And 95% of what we're doing is this non-conscious drive that is very intelligent, but it's also our non-conscious drive is also portion to it that's saying, Hey, this is not a great drive. And therefore sending signals like anxiety and, you know, the yelling and those things, which are not they coping mechanisms in that they are actually responses. They, they're warning signals to how we're functioning. And so what you're saying is then, if I'm understanding you, is that we, if we keep those things going in the families, if we don't stand back, we just make them stronger and stronger. And that's why they become intergenerational and why they become like, they feel so familiar because you've seen them for so long and it's just, well, that's just how we are. Meanwhile, it's not. So it's very difficult to, but it can be done. The thing is, is that your brain is always changing and every experience brings you more insight and every moment of every day our mind is experiencing and our brain just does what our mind tells it to do. So there's hope, which is what your book is all about. So you were telling us about the process first and you got to the body and now do you want to talk more about the body or go to the next once you've got the person self-regulating the body response? Do you want to talk more about that or go to the next level? The next level is actually more mind-centered. So we transition from the body into engaging in more of the practices that can help a person to really see the whole landscape of how trauma has manifested in their family line. So I do a lot of intergenerational trauma tree mapping with folks and help them to... Okay, so what is that? Sorry to interrupt you, but I know people are saying, oh, that sounds interesting. What is that? That's immediately what triggered my response. So... Do you mind to explain? I do a lot of intergenerational, you said gene mapping with, okay, so let's talk about that. Yes. So intergenerational trauma tree is one that I create or co-create with a patient where I'm able to help them to identify all the different ways in which trauma responses have been, have made their way into their family line and address each of those trauma responses that they've internalized themselves. So it literally looks like a tree. We create a tree because I think the visualization is really helpful. And within those tree, each leaf signifies a different family member and that different family members one lived experiences. So the ways in which they have had any kind of experiences that could have been traumatic in any way. And then two of the ways that they've responded to those experiences and how those trauma responses have been carried on. And then there's also a part of the tree that we create where there's reflection of the internalized beliefs that person has had that have been passed on the family line. Some that I mentioned before, you know, around, you know, cultural beliefs around child punishment or that family secrets are not aired out or, or maybe even some other like larger standing cultural beliefs around, you know, what we believe in society. So all of those are part of it. And when a person is able to step back and look at the fullness of the ways in which trauma has been represented inside of their family tree, they get that visualization that can be incredibly 
helpful rather than living in the trauma. They're able to see it really in front of them. And it offers them an opportunity to also program ways in which they like to disrupt. So I like to say that we're, we're in essence, shaking the family tree and letting the rotten leaves fall down. And what we do in the process of doing intergenerational trauma healing work is that we start naming the ways in which they've internalized trauma responses and how we can start cutting those trauma responses at them. But we first have to see what's there, which is why we do the tree map. Very interesting. That's fascinating. I love that. It, it, it aligns so much with the, the philosophy that I come from and the research I've done. So I'm, I, I totally agree with that. To get that visualization, to see that big picture is so important. So it's the body, then you do the, the generational tree mapping, and then what is the, and, and this is all in your book. It is, yeah, yeah. And then the third thing, what do you do? What is the next level or the next step? Or? Well, we do a couple of things that are related to the mind still because there's still a lot of work that needs to be done around intergenerational post-traumatic growth is what I call it. So it's an element of post-traumatic growth and some of what we know that is essential there, which is, you know, creating new meaning out of life, building strength, which is really essential, especially when you've had deep emotional injuries. But there's also an element that is really essential in intergenerational trauma work, which is also looking ahead. Like, how is it that our healing is going to actually set up the next generation to live a life that is fuller, more abundant, help, healthier, happier, and all the things that they deserve, right? And so there is an element of intergenerational post-traumatic growth that also looks at. And, and so there is a lot of work around that that we do that looks Perhaps a little bit more like talk therapy, but just with that element of intergenerational healing and post-traumatic growth that can take into consideration not just a person that's sitting on that therapeutic couch, right, or that person that's reading the book, but everybody that's connected to them. And then we transition into, which is all, always in the mix, but we transition into more of that spirit-based practice, which is doing some meditations, doing some and people like to write letters to people that they feel they deeply love but are no longer with them, a grandmother, someone who cared for them deeply and they just want to find a way to connect with them or say, hey, you know, I'm doing the healing and it feels really good for me to be able to do this, not just for myself, but maybe because you didn't get a chance so you didn't have the resources and it matters to me to do that. Yeah, and so there's also, you know, that spiritual element that helps us to feel connected and helps us to feel grounded. And that's why I do sound bath meditations, like you mentioned before, which are meditations that involve a court staple that helps us to really settle our bodies, our minds, and our spirit in a way that feels very tangible in the moment, but also helps us in the long term to just feel more settled. I love that. Planning a holiday meal can be a lot of work, especially for a large family. Thankfully, ButcherBox has all you need for a tasty, stress-free holiday season with high-quality protein delivered to your door. They make it so easy to prepare holiday meals and sharing food with people you love. One of my favorite meals to make this time of the year is my family's ricotta lasagna, which I make using ButcherBox's delicious 100% grass-fed ground beef. It truly makes all the difference in this recipe. In fact, I use ButcherBox for all my meat and seafood recipes. They take the guesswork out of finding high-quality meat and seafood you can trust with 100% grass-fed beef, organic chicken, pork-raised, crate-free and wild-caught seafood. 
All of their products are humanely raised with no antibiotics or added hormones. With ButcherBox, I get just what I want delivered right to my doorstep with free shipping in the continent of the US and no surprise fees. Plus, I get to choose from a variety of box plan options from curated to customized and change my plan whenever I want. Plus, ButcherBox makes the perfect gift for a fellow foodie. I have given ButcherBox as a gift to several friends and they love both the quality of the meat and the delicious recipe suggestions from ButcherBox. The holiday season truly is made better with ButcherBox. For a limited time, they are offering our listeners turkey free in your first box plus $20 off your first order. Sign up today at butcherbox.com forward slash Dr. Leaf and use the code Dr. Leaf to get this deal. That's butcherbox.com forward slash Dr. Leaf with the code Dr. Leaf to get this deal. The link and details will be in the show notes. We, we live part-time in Dallas and part-time in Miami and we, in the mornings, there's always the yoga classes on the beach and then they have the sound bath classes on the, on the beach. So we go and we, t- do, we try and do as many of them as we can, but it's amazing when the sun is rising and you do this kind of spiritual work. It just, it's beautiful. It's a really great way to set up the day. So that's why I was keen for you to talk about that. Well, you now let's dive into one of the chapters. Is, is this a good point to, in which to dive into one of the chapters, which is almost like a little mini session of how they would, ex- a reader would experience the, the chapter? And the, the process and with an example would be wonderful. So if you can kind of track it maybe with one of the stories in the book and just track them through how they would, yeah, what would, what would you just describe what it would look like in a little bit more detail with an example? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So I do have a chapter in the book that specifically focuces on the intergenerational service system. And since we've been talking about that, I think it's a, an excellent one to get into. So I have someone who is is within the actual book that I integrate into the storyline of intergenerational nervous system, then this person, Nola, so she had been stuck in her intergenerational nervous system because she had had the modeling that came from her parents, but she also came from parents who were deep in trauma for a very long period of time. And she was also seeing a replication of that same nervous system response in her child. And in addition to that, one thing that we don't oftentimes talk about all too much in, in reference to trauma, which I try to integrate into the story of Nola as, as well, because this was a part of her experience, was the fact that people at work felt it too. So not only was she experiencing this chronic emptiness, this hyper-aroused response, but she was also in constant fight in as far as like a fight mode nervous system response. And that was also being represented in her workspace. So we had to work with Nola to be able to integrate not only deep breathing, which I understand that deep breathing is incredibly essential. And we all know, you know, a lot of what it does for the mind and body whenever we're feeling hyper around. But we also had to integrate another layered nervous system reset response on top of that, which I always like to introduce rocking to folks, especially if they have the capacity to rock, because it also gives the body an opportunity to get back into rhythm. And it's also a type of somatic practice that helps us to initiate that ventral vagal response, which is going to help us to enter the restoration. So when we start layering the breath and rocking together, it allows a more profound experience of relaxation. 
But in addition to that, because we, we also work with the intergenerational nervous system. And what that means, of course, as I mentioned, is that we're also doing work that honors anybody who we love and care for couldn't do the work because they didn't have, let's say, the cycle, they didn't have this book or resources or therapists. And we're also doing it for the generations to come, whether they're alive already or they're, you know, somewhere in the journey in the process of coming to, to life. Then it's going to be important also that we do visualization exercises or that we share the technique with the people in our lives. So I always like to help any person with first visualizing, like, what would it be like for a person that you love who didn't get a chance to heal in this way to experience your healing, to experience you walking and breathing and thinking of them as you do this healing work? And so there's a visualization piece that's also integrated in there, which is a lot of the like more meditative kind of based element of, of how we do the healing work. So that's one chapter that's very near and dear to my heart. It does start very heavy on the research end because I do believe it's really important for us to have also the information that we need and wherever science is right now to be able to equip us with that knowledge. But there is a very heavy element also on the healing side and on integrating these practices into our lives so that we can also do the work itself. That's lovely. That's really great. So what did you do with Nora, Nola, I think you said the name was, and next. So once she had done that, that's the, 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 that's, I totally agree with you. We've got to understand the science in order to actually really make sure that we understand why we're doing these things. So that's, there's a reason because what can rocking do? But there's a lot of science. So, and the layering, I love that concept. So how did that, what was the transition next to help her to be able to, you know, to have the change at work because it was impacting at work. She was getting more, maybe aggressive at work or whatever the case may be. Yeah. So it, a lot of it had to, we did a lot of heavy work in the mind area, right? With Nola, like she needed to understand that her pain was being dislodged onto other people and that didn't coincide with her values. So she actually didn't want to be the person that caused pain forward in the ways that pain was caused to her when she was a little girl and even, you know, in other areas of her life. So when we start working with people's values, I think that can be also very helpful because we can start to, to map out the ways in which the representation of their trauma doesn't coincide with the person they desire to be. And that can also be a very big motivating factor of people breaking the cycle. Sometimes it's that one thing that clicks for folks and allows them to see, okay, breaking the cycle is in essence the only option that I have for moving forward because I desire to be a person that one, feels lighter, is emotionally freer, and doesn't carry this heavy burden that so many people have carried down my family line. But also, I don't wish to be a person that is leaving this earth with a whole bunch of pain because I didn't know how to carry my pain for myself. Beautiful. What about you in your life now? Because you start the book with your story and you had to, you had a, you had a major epiphany in your, the way you saw things and how did, so did, were you your own, your own subject in your own private little lab? (laughs) What about you in your life? Yeah, I, I did so much work and it's been probably over 15 years now doing some of those, this work in my own life. And then also bringing my family in with me. I like, like yourself, I'm very family oriented. I'm very close to my family and I want to produce happiness, joy and healing in their lives as well. And it has not been a journey that's been entirely easy because you have 
multiple generations, so many people that are in their own process and need to be integrated at their pace, right? Wherever they're ready and, and they need to be allowed space and compassion to be able to take in the healing at the level that they can. So that was a lot of the learning for me too. And a lot of the learning that I impart in this book and help people to understand where we can help a person move along in the direction of healing and where we need to then decide that we need to, in essence, grieve what they could not do. No, that's really good. Yeah. Because you can't fix someone else. All you can do is facilitate a process and and then you can allow yourself to grieve what they couldn't do or what you know would free them, but they've chosen not to do. That's That in itself is great because otherwise that's going to be another little trauma and that could then go through, you know, so all these things. So that work on ourselves without becoming self-involved, it's it's actually self-healing versus, you know, self, self being self-involved. And then it's the oxygen mask principle that we always talk about, you know, get the oxygen on yourself so you can help others. I love that. Muriel, I'm, I'm interested to know with you practicing in this, in this area, specializing in this area with all the things that have been going on with racism in, in the world and it, how it's been so highlighted in the last couple of years over COVID and George Floyd and all these incidents with police officers and just the it, things that are happening, kids going up to front doors and getting shot before we, because they, because they happen to be African American and these horrific things. How, how has this impacted? Have you seen a shift in? your therapy, people needing more, or people talking, be people ready to talk about? Is there something that has this, how, how, what's going on? How is this being handled and triggered? And I don't even know what the words are. Is it the shift? There's been a shift. And how has this impacted how you are seeing that at ground level working with people? It has been incredibly hard, I think, for the people that have been impacted by these incidents. Definitely the Black community, the, the Black diaspora. And individuals who are clinicians who are both on the ground working with our community members and what tends to happen in these experiences is that there is a collective trauma or a secondary trauma experience that people then absorb. Not only are they living in the constant chronic trauma of racial violence, you layer pandemic crisis on top of that that lasts several years. And then you layer their own lived personal experiences and family experiences. And you have the recipe for people breaking down. Yeah. yeah. And what I always say is that the, it seems like this era of life for this generation in particular has broken a lot of us open because there were so many things in place to help us to not connect to our emotions. Like we were going to work every day. You know, we had routines in place. And when all of that was stripped, and then we had to just sit with constant news of our fellow community members being murdered or the constant news of individuals, especially within the pandemic, the disproportionate amount of people of color that were impacted by the pandemic and pandemic deaths started amalgamating and create this compounded collective trauma that made the more individual trauma and even the intergenerational trauma become even more heavily absorbed and greater. And so my, me as a clinician at that time, I was carrying about 65 individual patients that I was working with. And session after session, person after person, it almost felt like the actual narrative and language, you know, that there were different people started becoming very unified. And people were really hurting and struggling. And it's all the more reason why a lot of these like health-promoting, resilient beast 
practices and experiences are going to be all the more important, especially for anybody who lives a life at the margins because of their identities, because it then helps us to, whenever we're confronted with yet another experience where, you know, a child is, you know, assaulted because of the color of their skin and the absorption of that trauma becomes slightly different because we have been doing a lot of the intergenerational resilience work. Are you battling to get over that afternoon slump? Maybe feeling overwhelmed with everything on your plate? Me too. With all the research projects, travel and events that I have on my schedule right now, sometimes I find it hard to keep up with what I need to do daily, which is why I'm so happy I discovered my new secret mental weapon, cognitive switch to add to my mental health toolbox. It's a newly launched ketone ester drink developed by scientists at the healthy aging company Juvenescence. Its formula gives your body the building blocks to create its own ketones, which are an efficient fuel for your brain that give you a boost in focus, concentration, and even sustained energy without the crash. Cognitive Switch comes in two forms, a drink that tastes like a delicious tropical yogurt and an unflavored powder that I love to mix into my morning coffee as a coffee creamer substitute. I like to add it to my coffee because it creates this instant latte-like consistency and tastes so good. I love using Cognitive Switch because it helps me kickstart my morning routine, increases my daily productivity, work on complete complex tasks, and get non-stimulant energy boost to get through the afternoon slump. I also love that it has real science behind it. Juvenescence actually conducted a clinical study to show that Cognitive Switch puts you into rapid ketosis in just 30 minutes and keeps you there for up to several hours. It's truly a game changer. And here's the truly exciting part. For a limited time, my listeners can enjoy a special offer of 20% off their order of Cognitive Switch. Visit juvelabs.com forward slash Dr. Leaf. That's juvelabs.com forward slash Dr. Leaf. J-U-V-L-A-B-S dot com forward slash Dr. Leaf to get 20% off your order. Don't miss out on this opportunity to start your journey towards enhanced mental performance. The link and details will be in the show notes. So the work's happening, the, the, the awareness is happening. The triggers have been terrible, but it's at least, there's at least a shift in, in the direction of, I can, I, I need to talk about this as opposed to suppressing it. Is there a shift in that? So there's more people are more wanting to talk about it more and wanting to change and wanting to help to get set free. As you mentioned, you had 65 clients that you were working with over, over COVID. And so the doors have opened, which is a good thing as well. So that people can start getting the resilience that you mentioned for future things that are going to happen. With all kinds of things. It is, yeah. I mean, I think we live in a world where at the very least in, in our lifetime, I don't know if we're going to see a lot of these experiences resolved completely to the extent that they don't continue to cause harm and, and pain for folks. No, I don't think it's going to happen in our generation at all. Yeah, it's going to take a lot. Mm. We hope that some change can happen, but the reality is that things will continue to happen that will cause hurt on a collective level and on an individual level. And people... To be honest, I think that people just reached uh, a point where they couldn't absorb anymore. So I think that that's what, in essence, moved the, sh- yeah, moved the, the ship forward, you know, and like made people say, okay, we need to transition into healing. And that, I don't know if you notice, you know, you being, you know, very tied to the zeitgeist of the times and the social media landscape, you know, people started just in that time really shifting their language into, well, my therapist said, or, you know, well, my healing is looking like. And so 
people were more open to the conversation. But I think in part it was because we had no other choice. You know, it's so interesting you say that because I remember right at the beginning of COVID being interviewed and people saying, you know, because it was there was so much doom and gloom initially and how this is going to be a negative thing. And I remember saying, it, it, yes, it's scary, but it's actually a good thing because it's going to force people to think and go deep inside themselves. And this busy time that we've been living in for a few years, which has just been so, as you mentioned, on this hamster wheel of, of commercialization and, and productivity and, you know, and, and achievement and which we need, you know, obviously these are all phases, but it kind of went a little bit to the wrong side. It forced us to sit back and take stock. And of course, no one wants to do that. And it was handled and fairly, and we know all the issues, but it did definitely generate. And, and I agree with you, the zeitgeist definitely shifted where there was this shift from kind of like, Oh, well, we'll just get on with life to, Hey, I need to just take stock of actually what do I, I accept in, in my life? And do I, what do I? support that's going on out there and what don't I support and what can I do and a lot of deep thinking and as I said when I was interviewed and said this at the beginning of COVID it was so like how can you say that this is such a bad time and I said it is but it does force us if you look at history historically when things get to the point where people just can't go on like this anymore that's when you know when the shifts happen and that's and it starts with us being aware and digging deep and looking at all these things and getting ourselves in a more resilient place, then we stronger. And then as a community, we can come together and we can start making those social shifts that are so necessary that don't happen quick enough from the top down, that actually happen effectively from the grassroots up. But you have to have people that a level of resilience and openness to be able to do that. And so I agree with you. I definitely have seen a shift in in the general culture, the general zeitgeist, and I'm very happy about that. And these things I'm worried about too, which I'm sure you are in the field too, that you know, things always tip and tip and tip and tip, and then they hopefully balance a bit and then they tip again, and that's just how we grow. Yeah, yeah, agreed, agreed. I'm hoping that, you know, the fact that there's been an opening to people having more of a motivation to do the healing work that now that there's a lot of these tools being put out there, like this book and other, other tools that are, you know, really essential that people will take what they can and, and do some of the absorption, but not of the, the heavy trauma, but the absorption of the healing and resilience so that we can then do some of that balancing work as the collective global community. Exactly. Because the community coming together is where the answer really is. So it starts with the individual and then the individual because you're not going to totally heal as an individual, but as an individual, it automatically makes you want to reach out. Like you mentioned in one of the, the, the spiritual part of writing letters, and there's the research that shows when you reach out and help others, that may in some way, like you, you spoke about the example, if, if people don't maybe have the resources or haven't had access to a therapist and you sending a letter and explaining, hey, there's this concept and she has some things you can do, that is reaching out and creating that community. And that's the, that keeps the, it, that increases the flow, you know, that's what keeps it moving and growing. And I think that's really beautiful and essential. Mural, where can people get hold of this book and when is it available and what are all the details about how people can find out more about you and what you do? Uh, so the book is through Penguin Random House. So it's called The Cycle of Healing Intergenerational Trauma, as I mentioned. So you can actually find it at com and clicking on book or break cycle. And that's where also a lot of my work is centralized. So people can find anything that I'm doing there. But on social media, I'm at Dr. Marielle Bouquet. You can find me there and some updates 
about the books and will be coming out January 2nd, 2020. That's wonderful. Well, thank you so much for sharing that. And I highly recommend the book and following you on social media. We'll put all those links in the show notes. And thank you so much for sharing your wisdom and for the wonderful and such important work that you're doing. And for sharing this, you know, making this available to, we need this, we need this. We've all got intergenerational trauma. I don't think there's anyone, not I don't think I know for a fact that no one has, no one has it together. No human ever has had it together. We all battle with stuff and it does go through the generations. So this is definitely a message that is so vitally important. So thank you for your work and thank you for joining me today to share it. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate you. Of course. I hope you found today's podcast interesting and helpful. If you want more tips and help with managing anxiety, depression, and mental health, be sure to visit my website at drleaf.com and to sign up for my weekly newsletter where I also include a schedule of my speaking events and so much more. And follow me on social media. I'm on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Just look for Dr. Caroline Leaf. Also, I love seeing all your posts on social media about this podcast. I love seeing what resonates with you and what you've learned. So be sure to continue posting and tagging me and letting me know what you think and how these tips worked out for you. And don't forget, leave a review and keep spreading the word about this podcast. Thank you for joining me today. I really hope you learned something new and helpful. Till then... I'm Dr. Caroline Leaf. This podcast represents the opinions of myself and my guests. The content here should not be taken as medical advice. The content here is for educational and informational purposes only. Please consult your healthcare professional for any individual medical questions you may have. While we make every effort to ensure that the information we are sharing is accurate, we welcome any comments, suggestions or corrections of errors.